0: Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? so is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom or barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raise the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying. For these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first His kingdom and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.
1: This chapter 12 in Luke is strewn with words of Jesus about not being afraid, and not being anxious. And every time, we'll see five of them, every time the ground of not being afraid is not human resources. It's not what you can know. It's not any strength. It's not your looks. It's not your prestige. It's not your status. It's not your possessions. It's not your investments. It's not your connections. In every case, the ground of fearlessness and freedom from anxiety is that God will be there for you. For example, number one, verse four. We didn't go back this far to read it, but you might want to look back that far. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. So here you have an example of how the basis of fearlessness goes beyond the absence of all human resource, even the resource of life. Life is gone. They die. They get killed. And if you're going to be killed by those who can only kill the body, don't be afraid. Why? Because God is there in death and after death. He's there for you. God's presence and God's provision and God's upholding is not limited by any human resource or their absence, even the absence of life. He's there underneath. When life goes, God stays. And that's why the psalmist said the steadfast love of the Lord is better than what? Life. Number two, verse 11. When they bring you before the synagogues, And the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious. There it is again. How you are to speak or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In other words, when the crisis is there or when it emerges, don't rely on human wisdom. Don't rely on memory. Don't rely on creativity. Don't rely on shrewdness. Rely on God, the Holy Spirit, and he will meet your need in the crisis. Number three, the parable of the rich fool, which Randy read. It's a man whose income keeps expanding. No evil in that. I don't think Wesley said, make as much as you can and give as much you can. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So his income kept expanding. But what he did with it was not cap it. And let all the surplus flow into the kingdom. He just bought more barns. More and more barns. Adding to his ease. Adding to his security. Adding supposedly to his freedom from anxiety. And he said in verse 19. So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. So his contentment, his fearlessness was based on his possessions, what he thought was in his control. And God says, verse 20, fool. I hope I don't ever have to hear that from God. That would be a terrifying thing to have God Almighty look you in the face and say, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. In other words, if a person finds his income rising, 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 and instead of striking that wartime lifestyle and pouring all that excess into alms or charity or missions or righteousness or justice or education for the simple kingdom purposes, if instead of using your money that way, you get more barns and more barns and more stuff. You're going to hear God say, fool. Number four, verse 22. Do not be anxious. There it is again. Do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or about your body, what you shall put on. Then drop down to verse 29, where it continues. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be of anxious mind. For all the nations of the world seek these things. And your Father knows that you need them all. Instead, seek the kingdom, and these things shall be yours as well. Now, the call in those verses is that all of the disciples of Jesus are to replace Thing seeking with kingdom seeking. Replace thing seeking with kingdom seeking. In other words, you have to be different from all the people in the world. And all the people in the world, he says, all the nations of the world seek these things. Stop being a thing seeker and be a kingdom seeker. Be different. From the world, be salt for the world, be lights in the world, stand out from the world in the way you use your money and the way you think and feel about things and possessions. When it comes to a venture. Target the spiritual payoff, not the money payoff, leave the money payoff in God's hands. He will do with it what he pleases for you. And target the righteousness payoff, the justice payoff, the mercy payoff, the spiritual payoff. Make that your goal. Make that the the nighttime dreaming of your life. How can I maximize in my life, in everything I do, the kingdom payoff for my life? And let God worry about the money payoff in it. Now, the basis for that fearlessness is right here in verse 30. Your father knows what you need. He knows that you need them all. He's not a heartless God. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. Number five, and this is the last one we'll look at and we'll spend the rest of our time on it. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock. There it is. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, what's the basis of fearlessness here? Fear not. Because even though you are sheep, and sheep are, they are so helpless. If wolves come, what does a sheep do? It's helpless. And even though, secondly, you are a little flock. Maybe a lot of sheep might gang up on a wolf, I doubt it. But, but you're just a little flock. And you're a flock, so what's ho- what hope is there for you? Fear not, little flock. You you have a father. He owns everything and runs everything. And you have a king. He, he has a kingdom. So fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he's a father to you. He's a king over the kingdom, and his kingdom is the universe and beyond. And he loves to give his kingdom to his little flock, his children. That's the foundation of not being afraid. Now, here's an important question. What in this context was the danger that they might have feared? Don't don't jump out of these immediate verses Back to verse 4 and say, oh, it's death. Let's stay right here and let's say, in this in this context, what is it that they might have feared? And he now says, don't fear, for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Well, what were they about to fear? Now, you can answer that question by going backwards in the text or forward in the text, just a couple of verses, and you'll get a very similar answer whichever way you go. Let's, let's try going backwards first. If you go backwards... In the text, asking what was it that they were about to fear? I think the answer is they were about to fear no longer seeking things. So You've told us, Jesus, not to be like the nations, not to think about and worry about what we're to eat, what we're to drink and what we're to wear. So we're not to to worry about that and we're not to uh, seek those things. But if we don't seek those things, if we don't target those things, if we don't dream and plan and work towards those things, then I'm afraid... I won't have those things. I think that's that's the fear that's rising here. And he says, fear not, little flock. Your father knows you need them. He loves to give you the kingdom. Keep seeking the kingdom. Now, if you go forward in the text and look for the answer of what they were about to fear, you get something a little different. Verse 33, after he says, fear not, little flock, he says, sell your possessions give alms and that strikes fear into them sell our possessions and give alms so in verse in, in the preceding verses it's stop seeking things and in verse 33 it starts selling things hmm. so sandwiched in between them is seek the kingdom so i define Seek the kingdom in, in, the, in, term, in these terms. Seeking the kingdom means you stop being like the nations and seeking things, and you start being like Jesus and you start selling things and giving the proceeds to the, those who need them. Investing in kingdom purposes. So here's a way to put it. Seeking the kingdom means stop doing something and start doing something. Stop being like the nations and seeking things. And start selling and giving. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you stop seeking things, when you start seeking the kingdom, and when you start selling off, simplifying, becoming more wartime in your lifestyle so that you can maximize your income for those who really have needs in the world, then you provide yourselves with treasures in heaven that do not grow old. Now, back in Matthew 13:44, no, 40, yeah. In 13:44, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, like a treasure, hidden in a field which a man finds and sells everything he has to buy that field. Now, the point of that parable is the kingdom is a treasure. It's the greatest treasure you could ever have. And it is more valuable than everything else you own or could ever imagine owning. Now, if you bring that definition over to verse 33, where it says, sell your possessions and give alms. And thus, in that way, provide for yourselves a treasure in the heavens. I think what it means is provide the kingdom. Provide yourself. An entrance to the kingdom. Let me rehearse the the sequence of thought here for you. Don't seek to have things the way the nations do. Second, seek to have the kingdom. How? Sell your possessions. And the effect will be you provide yourself with the treasure. The kingdom. Now, question. Does that mean you buy the kingdom? The kingdom's for sale? You sell, give, you buy the kingdom. No, because in verse 32 it says, It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's a gift, not a purchase. Not earned, It's freely given, but now listen very carefully. The kingdom is a gift to those who want it more than they want things and to nobody else. The kingdom is a gift to those who seek it more than they seek things and to nobody else. The kingdom is a gift to those who fear missing it more than they fear losing earthly security, and to nobody else. The kingdom is given freely to those who trust the king more than the dollar. You don't buy the kingdom when you scale down your lifestyle to a wartime orientation and maximize your giving to Missions and to ministries of all kinds to meet the needs of people. You don't buy the kingdom when that happens. You demonstrate that you love the kingdom when you do that. Take Zacchaeus for an example. You all know the story of this little short, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus ripped off Jews by taking excess taxes in his job and nobody liked him. And Jesus showed him love. And came to his house that nobody else would do. And when Jesus moved in on Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus changed. And the story, it's in Luke 19. He said, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'll restore it fourfold. And you know what Jesus said right then? He said, today, salvation has come to this house. Now, did he mean Zacchaeus bought salvation? What he meant was salvation changed Zacchaeus, and you can see it in the way he handles his money. And that's the point of these texts. You don't buy salvation. You don't buy the kingdom. You demonstrate where your heart is by the way you handle your possessions whether you do it like Zacchaeus or like the rich young ruler that we're going to see in just a few minutes. How you handle your possessions determines where your heart is. Verse 34. And where your heart is determines whether you are saved or not. And whether you are saved or not determines whether you will gain access into the kingdom and inherit glory. And therefore, how you handle your possessions is the pathway, not the price or the payment, but the pathway to glory. And there is no other pathway than wartime lifestyle. There isn't. That's what this text is about. And all of Jesus' texts are About And it strikes fear into the disciples, so much so that he says, fear not, little flock. It's all right. Fear not, because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Which means that if there is a pathway to the kingdom that is not broad and on which many do not go, but is narrow and few go. And if God promises to give you the kingdom, that means He assuredly will get you on the path and keep you on the path. Otherwise, you will have to earn the kingdom and it will no longer be a gift. If God gets you on the path of simplicity and keeps you on the path by freeing you from the love of money, then it's His gift to get you there and His gift when you enter in. the rich young ruler. Remember him? Remember the question he asked? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, "Uh, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments. He said, I kept all the commandments. Jesus didn't believe him. Especially love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you lack one thing. He'll put you to the test. Give everything you have away. Come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. You'll enter the kingdom. You'll have eternal life if you do what I tell you to do. And he wouldn't do it. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, it's really hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom, isn't it? It Blows their minds away. They they don't know what to think of this. And then Jesus says, what's like a camel? If a camel can get through the eye of a needle, a rich man can get into the kingdom of heaven. And they, they just throw their hands up and says, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus doesn't let them off the hook one bit. He says, with men, it is impossible. That's all he says. Let's that sink in. With men, it is impossible. How, how are you going to get a rich man to fall out of love with his things? How are you going to get a rich man to love God more than he loves money? How are you going to get a rich man to be changed in his being? It's impossible. And then he adds, but what is impossible with men is possible with God. If a rich man can't fall out of love with things and fall in love with God and get on the narrow road of simplicity and generosity that leads to life, God can do it. If any of you is on that road, it's because God puts you on that road. And if any of you is despairing, saying, No way could I ever live like that. No way I could ever have that kind of affection for God. No way could I ever have my eyes open so widely to the beauty and all satisfying glory of the kingdom that I could let goods and kindred go. No way. I want to tell you, God can do it. What is impossible with man, namely a rich young ruler getting saved, is possible with God this morning. It's called new birth. Unless a person is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Unless you turn and become like little children who never lose a night's sleep over barns, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Enter, enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what's needed. We need genuine conversion. Conversion has been cheapened down to such empty decision-making that scarcely anybody knows what Jesus required today. It is a gift, not because the way is broad that leads to life, But because the way is narrow, it is the way of selling possessions, not constantly accumulating them. It is the way of giving and not getting. And though it is impossible for a human to change his heart like that, God can do it. And since God can get you on the road and keep you on the road and open the door to glory, it is His gift from beginning to end. And He will get the glory all the way to eternity. Now, I'm... This is a day in which I'm supposed to make a challenge to you about the financial needs of our church. This little brochure here is called Our Giving Account, and some of you have been in Sunday school classes where this has been shown and talked about, and some perhaps yet will be, and you can get this on the information table. I hope you will. It's well done, and it's tremendously helpful and encouraging about the last 10 years of our church from 82 to 92 and where we've come from and things have grown, a lot of good news, and why we're in a cash crunch, and a bunch of challenges on the back, and reasons for praise, and how much of our $1.4 million budget goes to missions, and staff, and pastors, and music, and office, and, and education, and so on. And uh, it says at the bottom here, accept the special challenge offered by Pastor John. That's printed about four weeks ago. Accept special challenge. <laughs> so I was thinking yesterday, okay, what should the special challenge be? And 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 I thought of a a bunch of gimmicks. I'll tell you a couple of them because they're sort of fun. Um, if everybody who comes to this church, everybody shows up on Sunday morning, gave four dollars and sixteen cents more a week, we wouldn't we would be out of the woods. Total needs met. That's one. Another one would be more realistically if the seven hundred and twenty-five uh, adult uh, regular givers. Who have boxes with envelopes? Were to give six dollars and eighty-nine cents more a week, we we would be free and clear from any any shortfall. So I thought, like, well, I'll challenge them to do that. So, so I'll do that. I'll, I will pledge God helping me to up my giving fourteen dollars per pay period for the rest of the year. But you know that's that's not where I felt I was with the Lord yesterday. I close with where. I am and where I think he is in this text. My challenge to you is a lot closer to the text here. And it's a lot more radical than $4.16 a week or six eighty nine. And I'm going to call it the William Carey wild card. And I'm going to ask you to play it on the table this morning. In 1795, William Carey was in... India. He had left everything. He never took a furlough for 40 years. Translated the Bible into 29 languages. Gave his life away for the kingdom. I love William Carey. Two years after he's on the field, he gets this pack of letters. About every three or four months, he got letters. It took about a year to turn them around. He opens the letter, and it's a criticism. for news coming back to England that, quote, he was engaging in affairs of trade instead of full-time missionary work. And it really broke his heart and made him angry because he would have starved if he hadn't worked. The money wasn't coming through. Oh, how easy it is to criticize man. Some people live by criticizing. How easy it is to criticize. So picture him there, 8,000 miles away, and he gets this critical letter that's three months old from somebody who doesn't have a clue what's going on in India, criticizing him for working for a living when he's supposed to be translating the Bible, learning the language. And he writes this letter, which is the William Carey wild card. It is a constant maxim with me that If my conduct will not vindicate itself, it is not worth vindicating. I only say that after my family's obtaining a bare allowance, my whole income, and some months, much more, goes for the purposes of the gospel. In supporting persons to assist in the translation of the Bible, write copies, teach school, and the like... I mention this to show that the love of money has not prompted me to pursue the plan that I have engaged in. I am indeed poor and I shall always be so till the Bible is published in Bengali and Hindustani and the people want no further instruction. Now that is a radical call alongside the call of Jesus to remember that we are fighting a war today for the eternal lives of men and women here and among thousands of people groups where they don't even have one witness to the gospel, not one, and they are perishing. It is a call to remember that we are fighting a war for the eternal lives of men and women and to use your possessions like you really believe you're in that kind of war. The wild card is in this sentence. After an allowance for me and my family, my whole income goes for the purposes of the gospel. I think that's the call of Jesus on every disciple. And I ask you to take that wild card and play it. Father, in America, on TV, radio, newspaper, magazines, billboards, leaflets, we are taught the opposite of this truth. If you earn it, you deserve it, you keep it. And Jesus calls us to sell our possessions and give. He calls us to join William Carey, to find a lifestyle fitting for the wartime situation we're in. And then as you bless and the income rises, to give it all away. And I pray that hundreds, Play the William Carey wild card. In Jesus' name and for his sake.